0: Thank you for joining us today. You are listening to Crossing Cultures with Phil Metzger. You can connect with us on social media at Crossing Cultures or by visiting crossingculture.org. Now let's get into today's message with Pastor Phil.
1: If you have a Bible, take it and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're starting a new section of uh, this letter of 2 Corinthians that we're calling Super Apostles. It's because in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, Paul says, uh, he, said, he said this, he said, I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most super of all the apostles. There was this kind of competition happening among these Corinthian Christians over Paul and Paul's ministry and Paul's place. And uh, we're not really getting into that today, but uh, we just thought um, that it's interesting that there's this kind of like, the Corinthian Christians, they wanted a leader who was going to be like a super apostle, you know, wore the S and the cape and all that. And and then this guy Paul comes in and he's so he's so the opposite of what they expected him to be like, and so much so that it really impacted their ability to see him as a Christian leader. Because in the city of Corinth in this day, life was really good. It wasn't good for most parts of the world, but for that time in Corinth, life was good. And they were struggling with seeing a leader who was meek and who was humble when they thought, if you're gonna be a, a strong leader, then you need, to, you need to show strength and you need to show uh, you know, just like success. And Paul was beaten up, homeless, imprisoned. He was the opposite of successful from their perspective. And so this was the issue, and today, our message today, this is one of my favorite passages. I think it's one of the most important topics that we're gonna cover in a long, long time. We're gonna read verses one through six, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it. So let's read, beginning in verse one, 2 Corinthians 10. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pray and we're gonna look at these verses together. (laughs) Father, I just wanna thank you for the privilege to consider your word and to just get to talk about what it looks like to have strongholds pulled down in our lives. So fill our hearts, Lord, with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want you to see in this passage before we get into the kind of the details of this is that we live in both the here and now, and we also live in this future place. And this tension is what exists between the right now and the eventually coming. And what I mean is this today we live right here. We live in, you know, it's 2021. We're alive now. We have, we have, um, what we have today, but then someday we're going to go be with the Lord forever for eternity, and yet we live in both of those worlds. We're not yet in that world, but we're not totally where we are, but we're not here, and it all depends on how your life is going. If life's going really good, you really wanna live in the right now. You know, I'm thinking like last night, my daughter was probably not hoping for Jesus to come back on her wedding day. She's probably like, no, we're good. <laughs> but, you know, ta- you know, it's tax time. Everybody's like, Jesus, come back. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Finals time. You know, all these kinds of things, depending on what part of life you're in. There's seasons when we're like, Jesus, return. And then others were like, you know what? I'm good. Things are good. It's good. Lord, we will wait until you're ready. You know, it's, it's amazing. We become so gracious. We live in the tension of both worlds. The reality is, is that you know, and I've heard phrases like it on Wednesday nights. We've been we've been looking at how to read our Bible and get the most out of it, and we were looking at like different like Christian cliche statements that are are not true, but that everybody kind of knows and we laugh about. I was thinking about this one. It's that phrase, you know, um, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. If you've never heard it, you're lucky. But <laughs> it, the idea is this. You know, oh, he's so focused on eternity that he's no earthly good, but Jesus was so heavenly minded and he was so earthly good. He was both heavenly minded and earthly good. You can't be, you're not one or the other. You can't just live in the today and you can't just be like, because if you just focus on the eternity and you just say, the heck with all the rest of this. I don't care about any of this. doesn't matter what happens. One day I'm going to Jesus. But then if we're so focused here, and this is what the Corinthians were doing, they were so focused in the now because their lives were good. And when life is good, you're okay to be focused on the now. They were so focused on the now that they wrestled with anybody who was eternally minded or future minded. And this creates an ongoing tension. And by the way, tension is how your muscles grow. And the tension of I'm waiting for the then, but I'm living in the now, you know what the tension it's creating? It's called faith. And I'm getting my faith built up. I'm growing in peace today, but one day I'm going to meet the Prince of Peace. I, today I have hope, but one day I'm gonna be with the one who is called hope. Today I, I, have, to, I have to have faith. One day when you're in heaven, you don't have to have faith because you'll be with God. You don't have to have faith when you're with him in that way. So we live in this tension. We live in this present tense and future tense. But the Corinthians, this was a difficult thing because not only did they wrestle with the idea of being in the present only and not even thinking about the future, but they didn't like anything that didn't look strong and successful and victorious. Anything that looked weak was a problem for them. In fact, one Bible scholar, he wrote this, D.A. Carson. (laughs) He said, the Corinthians were quick to seize every emphasis in Christianity that spoke for or seem to speak, of of spiritual power, of exaltation with Christ, of freedom, of triumph, of victorious Christian living, of leadership, of religious success, but they neglected the accents in Christianity that stressed meekness, servanthood, obedience, humility, and the need to follow Christ in his suffering if one is to follow him in his crown. They loved Christian triumphalism, but they did not know how to live under the sign of the cross. They had a, a clear sense of, you know, because Greek culture said if you're successful, then you're strong and you're powerful and you're, you're a great orator and all these kinds of things. And then Paul comes out and he's, he's, he's a terrible orator. He's not a great communicator. He's beat up all the time he's, for his faith and he, just, he didn't have the appearance of somebody who was doing well. But here was the interesting thing and he said it in verses one and two. The problem was this, when Paul came into the city of Corinth, he came in really humble and meek and and soft and gentle, and then when he left, some problems arose in the city and in the church, so he wrote a letter, and it was very bold in his letter, he was strong. Not carnal or angry, but bold, and the Corinthians got it into their head, oh, you can be bold when you're not here, but when you're here, you're going to be all weak and quiet and all those kinds of things. Because that's what normal people do is that they're really bold about things when they're not present. Oh, yeah, well, if that was me, I would. And then it's like, okay, it's your turn. You're like, oh, never mind. Right? It's easy to be bold when when you're not the one up. But when you are, and that's what they were saying, they're like, Paul, it's so easy for you to be so bold, but you're not here. And when you were here, you were not like that. And Paul says, you're right. When I was there, I came to you in boldness, or I came to you in meekness and gentleness. And then he says this though in verse one, like Jesus did. You see, being bold and being strong doesn't mean, it's not a personality type. It's not like I'm bold and I'm strong. You can be meek and gentle and be bold and strong. And Paul's like, I'm pleading with you. Don't make me have to come to you And be so bold and strong the way that the people in in your world do that. That's not who I am. It's not who Jesus was. Another Christian writer said this, and I love this statement. He said, the believers suffered from a values deficit. They regarded humility not as a grace, but as a weakness. You see, they saw Paul's humility as a weakness. If Paul was really a super apostle, he would be bold. He would be strong. He wouldn't be so weak. They didn't understand. They thought, they thought that you had to look like the way all the other leaders in their area look like. Verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, <laughs> this is an interesting thing because in the Bible, um, there's a few passages that talk about like war images. Now, you would think it's all the time by the way we quote war images. Uh, The Bible doesn't talk about war images very often. This is one of the few passages that it does, and I think it's going to surprise you, the context that it does, but we'll have to get there in a minute. You see, today we're talking so much about, and I hear this so often, oh, we're at war, we're at war, we're at war, we're not at war. Jesus already won the war. We already have victory. We have victory over sin, death, hell, and the devil because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. And I do not wrestle against, in Ephesians 6, against flesh and blood. You know what that means? You are not the person that I'm fighting against. Now, sometimes people bother us, but people are not our enemies. We are a, there's a real devil, there's a real enemy, and he wants to destroy. He's seeking to destroy. And yet we've made this a battle with people. We're not at war with humanity. The cross of Jesus already dealt with that war so that we could just like love humanity. But if I lose sight of the fact that I live in the here and now and in the then, If I'm focused on one or the other, I'll lose that perspective. So this war imagery, it exists, but in a very small way. And the way that this is spoken about here is very different than you might. It's going to surprise you. At least I hope it surprises you.
0: You are listening to Crossing Cultures with Phil Metzger. If this ministry has added value to you and you would like to hear more content, you can subscribe at our Crossing Cultures podcast. Or visit us online at www.crossingculture.org. If you would like to support us financially, you can do that on our website at www.crossingculture.org. Now let's get back into today's message.
1: So what is the imagery? Look at verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So I want you to try to imagine something. Use your, mi- your mind's eye. Your eye. Yeah, yeah. Okay, to imagine something. I want you to imagine a city. And there's movies that have been helping us with this for a long time I want you to imagine a city, and the city is surrounded by a wall, and that's a, that's a, that, this is the imagery that Paul uses, and it's surrounded by this big wall, and then in, in the different parts of the wall, you can see these kind of um, extension pieces to the wall, these little, like, these like columns, so to speak, but those are not columns, those are what we call strongholds, They're called strongholds. And the stronghold is a particular part of the wall that would be like our our structure beams. These are the strongest parts of the wall. They get built up so that it becomes indefensible. You you can't get, the, the goal is to make sure that nobody can get through the wall so you build these strongholds. And from strongholds, you can attack, you can defend. You're at your safest place in the stronghold, high towers, you have high towers. We can see them around here too. And the high towers exist for a simple reason. You wanna have an advantage of being able to look down on your enemy. You wanna be able to shoot at the enemy from above. Okay, so this is the imagery that Paul gives us. And so what I wanna do is I'm gonna now take this imagery that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 10, and we're gonna put some definition to the analogy, okay? Okay. So if you're a note taker, this is for you. If you're not a note taker, this is still for you. But it's, here's what we're gonna do. You ready? Let's begin it. The city. The city is you. Okay, I want you to imagine a city. You are the city. Here we go. You ready? You are the city. Okay? And your thoughts are the citizens of the city. So you're mayor of your own town, Okay? You can name your city, you feel free, just have fun. And the citizens of your city are your thoughts, okay? The walls are our defenses, what we build up. Our defenses, both good and bad. Usually it's meant for good, sometimes it ends up being a little bit bad at times. But the walls are our defenses. The strongholds and the high towers are those deep-rooted central thoughts and ideas that gets so deeply connected into us that they affect our identity and our values. Thoughts that become so deeply entrenched into our lives, either by ourselves or by what people say to us or about us, it gets so deep in there that it becomes a stronghold in our life. It changes the way we see who we are and how we see the world. And again, I, I, I could use this on a couple different levels. It could be that person who has been told their whole life that they're never gonna amount to anything, they're never gonna accomplish anything, they're never gonna be anything, and they've now built up these, like it's just a stronghold. Thought after thought after thought, what's communicated to them is the same message over and over, and then what was a thought became a stronghold, and it now affects the way they see who they are happens all the time. You know, those with the lowest self-image have the highest strong towers in their life. They have the lowest self-esteem, but they have incredibly built up strongholds that define who they are. Let me me use a, a, a different analogy, or not a different analogy, let me use a different picture to try to tell the, Same idea, because so far I'm using the story of somebody saying something to you, but let me flip this around and say this is not for men or women, it's for both. Pornography becomes a stronghold in the life of a person who gives into that. Why? Because what begins as one thing becomes an absolutely rooted idea and identity. This is who I am. It's how I think. It's how I see the world around me. It's the great danger of pornography. It is not just a wayward thought. It is an entire worldview. It changes the way I see the opposite sex, the way I see humanity, the way I see myself, the way I see God. It changes everything. It is a life-altering addictive process. And it creates strongholds in my life where, oh, I had this thought or I had that thought, but then all of a sudden now it is an, it, it, it becomes an identity. It becomes a value system. And again, I, I, I'm just mentioning a couple, but the thing that I'm gonna ask you over and over in our message today is this, what are your strongholds? What are your strongholds? What are the thoughts in your life that are centrally rooted and defining who you see yourself to be maybe you're single maybe you're single by divorce and you feel shame or i'm uh, something's wrong with me or anything these are these become strongholds from the enemy and maybe from your own thought process and it defines you but it should not define you you're so much more than that Maybe you're struggling in your marriage and it's easy to become defined by some of the struggles and you forget that we used to actually do, we used to like each other. We used to like each other, but so much time goes by where we we feed the wrong thoughts, we feed the wrong central ideas, and now we've built up this thing like, oh, nothing will ever change. Nothing will ever change. It's always going to be like this. You know, when when Joy and I will do like marital counseling or when it's premarital counseling, then everything is fine. They never fight. Everything's amazing. But when you do like marital counseling, you know, you'll say, you know, like, uh, you know, when you say things like, he always, she never, and you say, well, let's pull back from those superlatives. She's not always. He's not always or never, but that's what happens when we let thoughts about another person who we love in our life become a stronghold in the, in the wrong approach. We, we build up these walls, we build up these towers and we say, nothing will ever change. Nothing will ever change. This picture of a city and my thoughts and my strongholds The imagery of war that the Bible uses is that I am at war with myself. I wanna see myself as I'm at war with all the ideologies of the world. I'm at war with me. I'm the one that needs to be conquered. It's a hard image, but it's a beautiful one. We build up walls to defend ourselves and not all that is bad because people hurt us. And we're like, I'm not gonna keep getting hurt. Shame on, you know, shame on me once, but if it happens again, really shame on me. This is ridiculous. So I'm going to build up my walls so that you can't hurt me. But the reality is the only one that I'm hurting is me. The only one that I'm really hurting is me. So to understand this picture, we have to try to understand who is it Okay, and if, if we show, look, put up that image again, if you don't mind, of our Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah, this one, yeah, I couldn't think of this. Okay, so there you have a city and you have walls and strongholds and then you have an enemy, an enemy army that is coming up against the city and I want you to ask yourself for a moment, just ask yourself in your, in your head, who is the enemy attacking or who is the army, let's rephrase that, who is the army that is attacking Your city, your walls, your defenses, your strongholds. And I want you to think about this because let me tell you who it is not. It's not the devil. The devil's your best friend. If you want to build up strongholds and false identities and false ideas, the devil is there to provide construction workers for you. Oh, you want to think wrong? I'm your best friend. Oh, you want to see your marriage this way? I will help feed that for the rest of your life. You want to live in this kind of a situation? I will, I'm your best buddy. You want to know who it is that is attacking the city? It's the Lord. The Lord wants to break down the strongholds in your life and in my life. That's why the imagery of war in the Bible is so difficult for us because we think of war and we think there's a side, there's a good side and a bad side. And of course, we're on the good side. But in this analogy, we're not. I'm the one that's needing to be defeated, to be broken down. And of course, that's a scary thing. And it's a scary idea because if I'm broken down, right, the analogy kind of falls apart right here, right? If the walls come down and the strongholds come down, then I'm just exposed and I'm broken and and my life is just in rubble and it's all falling apart. But you see, when the Lord is the one who tears down the strongholds, when the Lord is the one that tears down the strongholds in your life, you're never more free and you're never more safe. Everything else that we build up, it can't be sustained. The weapons of our warfare are not, are not carnal, but they're spiritual. You know what that means? That means that the person that's struggling with pornography, the way to help them is not to shame them, they're already experiencing shame. So we add more shame because we think that if somebody feels enough shame, then they will definitely stop doing what they're doing and it's never worked. Because the righteousness of God is not produced by carnal means. Shame is a carnal mean. Guilt is a carnal mean. Manipulation and control, these are carnal means. And a person whose esteem is so low that they've built up these giant strong towers to protect themselves. And we think that the way we're gonna do that is just to tell them, oh, you look really good today. And we're gonna, you know, and in these simple trite little statements are gonna make, excuse me, make everything okay. It doesn't work like that. Our weapons are not, Carnal, they're spiritual. We need God to tear down the strongholds in our lives. That's the moral of the story. There is an invading army at the door of your life and his name is Jesus and he's knocking and he's invite and he's asking for you to open that door and let him in and let him tear down strongholds and high towers and defenses that you have used to protect yourself but really are not going to be sustainable
0: you're listening to crossing cultures with Phil Metzger if this ministry has added value to you and you would like to hear more content you can subscribe to our crossing cultures podcast Or visit us online at crossingculture.org or philmetzger.com. We would love to send you a copy of Jeremy and A.D. Camp's book on marriage titled In Unison for your gift of $10 or more. You can do that on our website at crossingculture.org or philmetzger.com. Let's get back into today's message.
1: Most of us, and if you're, if, you, if you're not a Christian yet, my prayer is that you will be, but if you are a Christian, then you have this spiritual life. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but we've been made alive together in Christ through the cross. And so we have this new life, and it's like I, it, all of a sudden I have a new person, this, this, this part of me that was dead is now alive. And my spiritual life, it means everything to me. But you have to understand, you are not just a spiritual being. Look around. If you can see people, you know you're not just spiritual beings. That like Casper the friendly ghost here, we are actual bodies. We're human beings. Flesh, blood, minds, emotions, intellect. We are body, soul, and spirit. But here's what happens so often is that we give our lives to Christ and we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And God begins to do this great work and our spiritual life really just takes off. But what can often happen is the emotional life gets neglected. The mental life gets neglected. We neglect all these other parts of who we are because you're not just a spiritual being. You got into a car today. You're not just a spiritual being. You're sitting on a chair. You're not just a spiritual being. You're more than just a spiritual being. And so because of that, but we spend so much time, and that's why we've all been hurt by this advice. When you're going through a hard time and somebody says, just read your Bible and pray more. Right, because if you could just, if you just read, it's like, I just read all of Leviticus. I better get better right now. But it doesn't work like that, does it? It's not. There's no cliche or just simple recipe fix for those kinds of things. And when I neglect the emotional part of my life, the mental part of my life, and I am allowing room and space for my spiritual life to just, ex- 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 you know, um, exceed, but I am, I'm, I'm doing nothing for my emotional and mental life. This is where the enemy really gets a hold of us. And he builds up those strong towers in our lives. So we can go to church and seem like giants, but we're like little punies the rest of everything else. We can't handle one person saying something mean, but we can go to church and, and we, we, we walk away and we're angry and we're bitter and we're mean to people and we're not kind human beings, but we come to church and we worship and we hey praise the Lord and all that kind of stuff because we're so happy to feed the spirit, but we're starving this other part of our life. Friends, you are meant to be saved, body, soul, spirit, all, every part of you. And this is the passage that is dealing with that. Let me explain. Your thoughts and my thoughts are not meant to just run free in my life and in your life. Did you know that? Your thoughts and my thoughts are not just meant to run free in my life. It's no anarchy in the city. Because here's what happens. How does a stronghold get built? Let me tell you how. You ready? So one of the thoughts in your mind, one of the thoughts, you just let it go. You're like, well, I probably shouldn't think that, but whatever, you know, it's a cute little thought. And then a cute little thought grows up. And then that thought becomes an adult, and then that thought meets another thought in your mind. And then those two thoughts, and you're like, oh, that's not, they shouldn't date. And then they date, oh boy. And then they get married and they have baby thoughts. And then they have more baby thoughts and more baby, and then all of a sudden this one thought is now growing and it's growing and it's becoming a stronghold in your life. And you wonder, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It's because we have failed to see the importance of what it means to take every thought captive to Christ. What does that mean? It sounds very exhausting and time-consuming. And it is, in a sense, let me describe. It means that you don't just let your thought life go free and assume everything's gonna work out. No, we take, so when I have a thought that is not, a good thought. By the way, none of us want all of our thoughts uh, amplified to the world. Would you like that? You came into church and we could all hear all of your thoughts. We'd be like, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. The pastor's not a Christian. I mean, we're not, there's no Christians here. If we could hear each other's thoughts, <laughs> right? But, and imagine that, you know, but so what are we supposed to do? Okay, when we have that thought, we say, oh, hold on a second. Thought, we're gonna go to the cross. We're going to go, I'm taking you captive. You are not going to just run free in my mind. Oh, it's cute. Oh, it's not a big deal. And I'm not talking about the legalism of like, don't ever think bad. We all think bad. We all have bad thoughts. You're never going to beat that on this side of heaven. But what we can do is not be passive participants in our own life. And we tend to do that as Christians. We're like, well, if the Lord wants to, he'll do it. What? What? You know how many times that Jesus would say to people who had huge needs in the New Testament, you know what he was, a lame man who could not walk, you know what Jesus said to him? What do you want me to do for you? (laughs) What do you mean? I want you to heal me. A blind man, what can I do for you? (laughs) My knee's been hurting. Oh, I'm blind, I wanna see. He made them actively express what it is that they were hoping that he would do for them. What I'm trying to say is this, please don't make that part of your life the part where you go passive because we actively engage in thoughts that are destructive to us and then we passively expect God to fix the problem. What if we were to actively engage in the solution as much as we actively engaged in the problem in the first place? This is how God helps us in this battle for our mind. It's that we don't just let the thoughts of our life run free and just think whatever they want. We say, hold on, I don't think that was a good thought. I'm thinking this thing about my spouse and it's not fair and it's unkind. And before I do anything about that, I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna take it to the cross. And you know what that means? It means I look at that and I say, Lord, forgive me for thinking that. Now you might say, hold on, I didn't have that thought. The devil put that thought in my mind. That happens. The Bible says that the devil will shoot fiery darts at us but what you do with that thought is up to you and me. I don't, I don't always think the thoughts that come into my mind, but how I entertain them is up to me. And so I can take that thought and I can say, you know what, I'm going to feed you or I'm going to take you to the cross. I can feed you and I, because, oh, this, this is a good thought. This feels good. This, this, this meets something in me. And that can become a stronghold in an identity post that can ruin me. Or I can take that thought to the cross and say, Lord, please help me. Please just help help me. I don't want to be thinking about that. I don't want that to be my, I don't want that to become my identity. I wanna be free from those things. Do not live, do not allow yourself to fall into this passive idea of Christianity. Not when you're, we're actively sinning. Let's not passively go after the work of God in our lives. That would be, how ironic would that be? I'm not passive, like sin didn't happen to me passive, like, oh, I didn't expect it and I sinned, oops. I'm pretty actively involved in that part of my life. Why not be as actively involved in the work of God? Let him have access Let God tear down the walls and the strongholds and the high towers that I, through rampant thought process, have allowed to be built up. It's okay. I am in the here and now, and eventually I'll be in the there. But right now, I want God to tear these things down. And until I am in that future, I will always have thoughts that need to be taken captive to Christ. It doesn't make me a bad person. It just makes me a person, a human being, And we all need Christ in those scenarios of our lives. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse two. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that he may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you and me to actively engage in the renewing of our minds. How? He tells us how to do that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Take these thoughts captive to Christ. Hey, Jesus, I got a wayward thought. Hey, Jesus, I've been thinking about this thing that I don't think is a good idea. Let 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 me flip this around the other way. Maybe somebody said something to you that has really defined you. Have you taken that to the Lord? Does he agree with what they said about you? Somebody shamed you? Does God feel that way about you? Have you taken that? If you take that thought captive to Christ, you might discover a far different view from God's perspective. You'll never know until we take these things to the Lord. Because see, the thing is, is when God tears down, you're safe. You're safe. The, this is where the analogy falls apart. Because a city with no walls and no strongholds and just all crashed down is, a, is in trouble. But when it is God that is the one wanting to get in there, you're in the best spot you could possibly be in. We're not meant to have these walls and these strongholds and these towers built up. Marriage struggles do not have to exist forever. Thought processes that are, are destructive don't have to continue forever. God can bring victory in our thought life. We're not just a spiritual being, we're also an emotional, mental being and a physical being. We need to let God work in all of these areas. The big fear is this. I don't wanna let this happen because I don't want people to see, I don't wanna be exposed. I don't wanna be exposed, right? I, I'm a big man on campus, I'm a big I, 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 I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm strong, and I'm all these things, but there's nothing more freeing and healing and beautiful and powerful than when you could be you in the presence of God and not have to be anybody else. You don't have to fake it to anybody. You get to be free. Bondage, it's interesting. When you take your thoughts captive to Christ, you're free. When you don't, you're actually in bondage to those thoughts. If you don't take them captive, they will take you captive. That's how it works. Somebody's going to imprison somebody. Choose. Now, I'm not asking you to do it on your own. You can't. I can't. But the Lord can. Lord, I'm inviting you. I'm I'm standing at the cross. I'm inviting you to help me with this thought. I can't get it out of my head. I can't stop thinking this way. I can't stop doing this thing. I can't stop imagining this or this destructive behavior, whatever it might be. You can trust God with those things. You can trust the Lord with that. And that's my prayer for each one of us this week is that like we would let God, and this is like a a, a lifelong pursuit, to let God show us our strongholds and then to invite him to tear them down to let him into our thought process and then to let him tear it down. And we we want a quick fix. Like everything's going to be fine right away. Maybe it takes some time. But we need to learn how to take our thoughts captive to Christ. Take that thought and say, I'm not going to let you just run free in my mind. Because if I do, I will become a prisoner to that. It'll become an identity point. It'll start to define me. I don't want that. You know why? Because I've already been defined. I'm a child of God. I'm going to heaven. I'm loved by God. Why would I let something else define me? Why would I let anything get in the way of that definition? Let's pray, and we're going to close in a song of worship. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege, opportunity to just get into your word, to talk about the thought life, Lord. I wanna pray, Jesus, that you would help your people to take every thought captive, that we would not, Lord, live in this kind of passive role where, well, if God wants to do something, Lord, you want to do something. You wanna work in our lives. Help us to be active, Actively involved in trusting you and in believing you for every part of our life. Help us, Jesus, to engage in our relationship with you, especially in the area of our thought life. Lord, I'm thankful that you love us, and we want to be defined by your thoughts, not these wayward thoughts that we often have. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed our message. Crossing Cultures is focused on helping Christians learn how to connect to those who may live, believe, or think differently than they do. We would love for you to partner with us financially as we seek to take the gospel locally and globally. You can do so by visiting us online at www.crossingculture.org. We would love to send you a gift for your donation of any amount. We at Crossing Cultures appreciate the diversity in music, and we're excited to share with you some songs from various genres. We hope you enjoy the music. First up, we have God's Eternal Now by Josh White.
2: Stillness midst the ever-changing Lord, my rest art thou So for me has dawn the morning God's eternal now. Now for me the day unsetting. Now the song begun. Now the deep surpassing glory. Brighter than. we The glory resting there, stillness midst the ever-changing. Lord, my rest art thou. So for me has dawned the morning. God's eternal.
0: You are listening to Crossing Cultures. The song you just heard was God's Eternal Now by Josh White. You can find his music on any music platform. Up next, we have Ascend by the Dwelling. He spoke to listening to crossing cultures the song you just heard was ascend by the dwelling next up we have a clip from our episode titled pastor's perspectives on race and the gospel you can find this episode and much more on our crossing cultures podcast
1: Why has
0: the movement, and this, it, I think this will go
1: beyond just our own movement, okay? I, I don't want to just focus on like just, it's not a Calvary issue, but why then today, like a movement that started 40, 50 years ago, why don't we see, why don't we have more black pastors in our movement?
3: Yeah, you know, that that's a great question. And, um, and we cannot expect for the... The, the big boys that I call the original guys. We can't expect for them to, um, to do it. You got to understand that Calvary Chapel started in, you know, Costa Mesa, uh, in Orange County, an area that has less than 1% black, less right. than 1%. So those guys went out and started um, churches all around. And of course the churches that they started is going to be white. Uh, um, you know, and the issue is is that as they are going out pastoring churches and they're gonna be in suburbia USA, um, you know, you, you got the inner city that, that's hurting. It. And sure, they would throw some money at and try to do what they can to help, but then they go back to suburbia USA, where they live and where their all white congregations are are located. Um and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing because I talked about having a multicultural church, I've talked about that around the country as well. Is, is that there is a certain sound that is associated with every culture? There's a sasa merengue style with the Hispanic culture, there's a gospel R&B sound with the Black culture. Uh, and so you have these sounds, and so you, you, you have Calvary Chapel, you know, strum along along on the guitar. Do their thing. That's what they do in Southern Cal, you know, they strum and, and you go into black church. There's nobody playing no guitar. It's an organ keyboard. It's those types of things. Sure, somebody's on the guitar there in the background somewhere with a lead guitar or bass. That's mm-hmm. about it. If you if you have that. But for the most part it's choir driven. Uh, so, you know, what I did was all I knew was when I came from Southern California to come to Virginia all I knew was strum a on the guitar, Maranatha music and all that kind of stuff. So I come to this area and people heard me on the radio. They said, I love the teaching, but that music is, is out of here. And they will go right out the door mm-hmm. or some were here. And then they would begin to like the music, uh, like the worship. So seeing that that is the case, there are sounds associated with every culture. And Mm -hmm. so Calvary Chapel's are just that that Southern California strum along along on the guitar. They took that, those original boys took that and went around the country and just perpetrated that. And Mm -hmm. then when Blacks or other cultures come in, they're like, "Uh, uh, I I can't get down with that. Um, And so um, that's why here we are for us to step out of the Black church, which is more you know, demonstrative in their worship of God. Everything is loud and crazy and, and that sort of thing. And so, but that's just our our culture. And so they come to Calvary chapels and see all white people. The music is all white to them. The mm-hmm. teaching is all white. And mm-hmm. so they go out the door and say, let me go down the street. So, but when you got somebody that's like me or or Bill that's been grabbed through the teaching, we like, okay, we know this music is not what we are used to, but we're starving for that teaching, Mm -hmm. that word. And so it began to grow on us. And I've told people so often that there's a huge difference to me between worship and praise. Worship is us pouring out our hearts to God for all that he's done for us, Praise is talking about what God has done for us. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of praise that goes on in the black church, and we sing about those things God has done for us, and that's rooted back in the slavery times and how God brought us through and all that kind of stuff. So there's a huge disconnect between the worship and praise in the Mm -hmm. black church and the white church, and therefore, because of that, it will draw all whites to the worship and then the praise people are going down the road, uh, black people going down the road, and say, "I got to get my praise on because what's going on here at this church? No, nah, that ain't that ain't it." And so then there's this 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 thing where they will love the teaching in the white church, but they want the praise in the black church. And so some would come to our church in the early days and say, we're coming here for the teaching, but we'll go down the street for the praise and for us to get our, our jump on and run around a little bit. And so that's where a, a vast disconnect begins to take place. I can go on, but I'm gonna let Bill.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. So, so it's almost like um, our churches, and then I want to hear from you as well, Bill. Our our churches are. This is a in cross culturalism, we call this assimilation. We're expecting people to assimilate to a particular style. It's not about the gospel message, but it's that hey, this is our style if you like that join into our style and we've been having to grow as a movement into, we can't make people fit our style. We might need to adjust our style. Bill, you have any, uh, any additional thoughts to that?
4: Yeah, definitely. You know, when I, when I went to Calvary Downey, that was my first, when I walked in the door and it was worship and it was like, man, I, I have to acquiesce to this. I don't like it. It was, it felt like twangy country music. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I went, I went like, like, like Pastor Tony said, I, I went for, I was already at a place where I was hungry for the word. I felt called to preach. I wanted to be, I wanted to get my family somewhere where we've been in the word. So we went in saying, we're going to give up our flavor of music for sound teaching. Um, but I never could get what well, I would bring people to church that I, they can come with me once. They was never coming back. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. that was the norm. And so, but something I was going to say, cause you would ask about, you know, you know, how come we don't see more or what, you mm-hmm. know, why do you think there's so few? And this was a, you know, when I was on staff at that church and I, I saw with a lot of Calvary, there was a, a huge emphasis on missions, which I thought was great that they would send people around the world. And it somehow it seemed, it seemed necessary. It seemed, feasible but but then i mean i was begging to go 10 you know 15 minutes down the you know the 105 and there there just wasn't as much of a, a heart to see that happen for a long time for whatever reason you know mm-hmm. um and so um you i mean i mean I, I was even frustrated at a church where as a pastor you had you did a mission trip every year i'm going to russia japan mexico and i'm like can i go to inglewood i want to go to Englewood. Mm-hmm. there's a need mm-hmm. right there i you know um, and eventually I was able to do that, you know, but, um, and I can't speak to why, I don't know why, you know, but, um, I, I do feel like that it's like something is missed. It's like, it's, it's something that's, it's right, you know, 10, 15 minutes away from, you know, where a lot of these guys are at. Um, and maybe there's a disconnect. Maybe mm-hmm. there's just, uh, I'm unaware of it. I don't, you know, I don't want to accuse anybody of just not having a heart, um, uh, for it, but, um. it it didn't seem as sexy as, you know, getting on a plane and going out of the country, you know, for whatever reason. So, um, definitely, you know, that was, that's, that's something I was, it was, it was a frustration of mine even being part of the movement where, (laughs) you know, I'm like, why can't we, you know, why, why won't you guys invest in sending the guy over here, you know? And, um, you know, and then, you know, like for me, I went out and I had, you know, I was helped initially, um, and it's you know it was, it was very 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 that I, I would say that's the it was the toughest thing I've ever done because uh, six months out it was like all right man you're on you know and um, and you know it, it was it was difficult man it was it was very very difficult um, I love some other church models for planting I think the way we we plant um, it's just you know my family never suffered as much as we suffered the first three years of doing this thing, you know? And so I think that would make it difficult for some guys, you know, it, for me, arguably it'd been easier just to stay on staff at the white church, mm-hmm. but I felt called to, you know?
0: Thank you for listening to Crossing Cultures with Phil Metzger. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, you can subscribe to our podcast, Crossing Cultures. Visit us at crossingculture.org, or you can connect with us on social media. If you live in San Diego, we would love to see you in person. Calvary San Diego meets on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find our address at www.calvarysd.com. We're a new show, and we would love to hear from you. Would you leave us a voice message at 619-500-4772? Again, that's 619-500-4772. And let us know how this show is reaching you. And pray about supporting the ministry of Crossing Cultures in prayer and financially as we seek to connect to those who may live, believe, or think differently than we do for the sake of the gospel. Visit us at crossingculture.org. Thank you for being with us. And we hope you join us next week on Crossing Cultures.